Well, hello, faithful listeners. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the latest episode of News on the Fly. Wrapping up some of the big stories in the Australian travel trade over the past week or two. We are coming to you from Sydney, working from home as we're in lockdown, uh, like most of the country. So please bear with us as there may be some audio differences, some background bird tweeting, and all those joys that come with working and recording remotely. As we are all getting some cabin fever, at least this latest outbreak is definitely galvanising everyone's minds about the importance of vaccination, and that sure can't hurt the travel sector. And life keeps moving. We've just had the AFTA annual general meeting and then the highly anticipated announcement of a new CEO. As well as vaccinations, the government is putting things in place for a post-COVID world. And some cruise suppliers are looking past our immediate difficulties with optimism about the Australian market. As always, there is so much going on, so let's get into it. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper, and this is News on the Fly. Last week, the Australian Federation of Travel Agents announced the appointment of Dean Long as its new CEO. Dean comes to AFTA from his previous role heading up the Accommodation Association. What's been the reaction of the industry to this announcement, Bruce? Yeah, look, this is an absolutely fantastic appointment and some rare good news for AFTA in what you'd have to describe as an annus horribilis for the Federation, um, you know, let alone for the whole travel industry. Um, yes, Dean comes to AFTA from the Accommodation Association, but before that, he actually worked at AFTA as National Manager Strategy and Policy for five years, I think between uh, 2014 and 2019. So he reported to Jason Westbury. He was, um, you know, well experienced in everything that AFTA did at the time. Um, and that was when so much was going on at AFTA, um, the formation of ATAS, lots of lobbying, new initiatives. You know, it all seems like a distant memory now, but it means that he has great experience of the industry and, you know, kind of much more than we could have hoped for. So do you know Dean from back then? Yes, and more recently when he's at the Accommodation Association. I've spoken with him several times over the years, and I think you'd have to sum up all my previous dealings uh, simply by saying that he's actually, firstly, a really nice bloke. Um, Well experienced, as I said, but also well qualified. He really is that perfect mix that the AFTA board were looking for. Um, He knows his way around Canberra and the various state political scenes, but as I mentioned, also really knows travel. I really think he's going to be great. Excellent. So when does he start? Well, after I'm sure would like him to start straight away, but he's currently leading the Accommodation Association, which is in the process of merging with the Australian Hotels Association. So it's ideal in that I presume once that merger happens, he would have been pretty much out of a job. Um, But the deal's not quite done. And I think his contract specifies a three-month handover. Anyway, he'll definitely be staying at AFTA no later than October. That's what uh, both organisations have said. But my sense is that it might happen sooner if they can come to an agreement and some sort of a succession or transition plan with the Accommodation Association. Well, let's hope that all happens smoothly. And in other news from AFTA, prior to the announcement of the new CEO, the Federation held its annual general meeting last week. Did that all go smoothly? Yes, exceptionally smoothly. Um, You know, quite a surprise to me. 
Of course, the lockdowns meant the AGM had to be rescheduled into a virtual format, but holding it over Zoom probably meant it had the biggest turnout in terms of attendance in living memory. Certainly in my time in the industry, I don't think there's only ever been you know two or three people interested enough to turn up apart from the board. They used to hold the AGM around the same time as the National Travel Industry Awards, aiming to give people who were travelling to attend the NTIAs the opportunity to join in. But that strategy still didn't produce a lot of attendance. Huh. So how many people turned up this time? I think there were about 40 people who took part in the Zoom, uh, all of the after directors except Graham Turner from Flight Centre, who was, I believe, travelling to the UK at the time, and also Consolidated Travels owner Spiros Alessandratos also didn't attend, but then about 30 other people on top of that. Anyway, despite that and the crazy year that we've all had, I was really surprised that there were no questions asked from the audience. You know, this is the opportunity that everyone had to ask, you know, what went on with Darren Rudd, the reduction in AFTA's reserves, changes to the Constitution, ATA. ASIS, and I'm sure the board were well prepared with responses to whatever might come up, but there was literally nothing asked, even though it could have been done really easily, you know, via Zoom. Chairman Tom Mannering repeatedly invited people to put questions on the chat. So what actually happened during the meeting? Was there voting on anything substantive? Well, just the usual formalities, um, accepting the annual report, which we talked about in our last podcast, I think, accepting the financials, and of course, the election of directors. Um, the constitution sets out how this is done. Directors get a two-year term, there's 12 director positions, and every year, half of them are up for re-election. So six vacancies. Anyway, as we reported previously, this year there were a record 10 nominations for those six spots on the board. And because of the way the constitution is written, basically the big groups get a lot of votes because their individual members or franchisees give up their vote to head office in return for a concessional membership rate. So usually it's all a fait accompli. You know, usually there's exactly the right number of nominees as vacancies and everyone just gets re-elected. But... This time, that didn't happen. There were 10 nominations for the normal six vacancies, six existing directors re-nominating, but a bit of an upset in that one of those re-nominations, David Greenland from Reed and Mackay, who only joined the board back in, uh, I think, 1st of April or 31st of March, he missed out. And his spot was filled by Katrina Barry from the Travel Corporation, head of Kentucky and Trafalgar. Oh, so not a travel agent. How did that go down? Yeah, well, as I said, not a peep during the meeting. I really thought that would generate some reaction. Uh, But afterwards, you know, a fair bit of shock, kind of WTF. I did have a lot of feedback. Um, You know, no one criticising Katrina personally. She is amazing, um, a lovely person, extremely competent. And in terms of governance and experience, she will be awesome. Um, You know, she is a great leader, so well done from that point. But definitely a shock from a couple of other reasons. Firstly, that that normal gerrymander, which has meant really no elections at all for the last 15 years or so, uh, apart from 2020 and this year, that didn't work out as planned. But also that she's not a travel agent, but rather a supplier representative. Also, interestingly, James O'Donnell, who's also from the Travel Corporation, um, the finance director, he was recently elected to the board of Cato. So TTC now has a strong position in both organisations. I guess what it's reinforced is something that the after board is well aware of and has mentioned multiple times, which is that the current constitution is a bit of a mess. In this case, I think complicated by ATAS membership, because the Travel Corporation, of course, um, is wants to be ATAS accredited, which in turn, under the ATAS charter, means they have to be an AFTA member, which in turn meant that they were able to nominate and vote in the election. Re- reform of that constitution is definitely on the agenda uh, for Dean Long when he starts. 
after you have something to say, why not let off some steam? News on the Fly has started a hotline where you can share your point of view with us and it may even be featured on the podcast. Send us a short voice memo via WhatsApp at plus six one two eight zero zero seven six seven six zero to have your say and keep listening to News on the Fly to see if your voice is featured. Check the show notes for a link to that hotline and we hope to hear from you soon. While the Australian government continues to maintain its fortress-like attitude to our international borders, behind the scenes it appears work is ongoing to prepare for a post-pandemic, or perhaps post-mass vaccination, future. Travel Daily has reported on some key developments in this area, including a new smartphone app. Bruce, what is that all about? Well, the federal government has perhaps a bit of a chequered history when it comes to technology. Remember that COVID safe app that we all thought was going to enable contract tracing and haha, eliminate the need for lockdowns? Anyway, let's hope this works a bit better. And despite other indications, to me, it definitely shows the government is serious and thinking about how things are going to open up. And unlike many other countries, right from the start here, the government has mandated that any COVID-19 vaccination has to be recorded in something called the Australian Immunisation Register. There used to be uh, an optional thing where you sort of record, you know, if you had a tetanus jab or whatever, but it came compulsory um, just before the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. And that's a really good thing because compared to other countries, for example, the USA and even New Zealand, I believe, there's no central record of COVID-19 vaccinations in other places. Someone from Los Angeles showed me their vaccination certificate, which was basically a post-it note. And of course, anything like that can be faked. Um, so at least Australia has a firm you know, trustworthy source of truth on this. Right. So is the idea that the immunisation register information will end up in the app? Exactly. Yeah, the government's issued a tender seeking developers to create this app. Um, It's going to link to those vaccination records and in particular show a big tick based on real-time data, um, you know, if you are vaccinated against COVID-19. It's also going to connect to COVID-19 tests, I believe, the um, government's My Health Record platform, digital vaccination certificates, other immunisations, and even uh, organ donation status and so forth. Wow, sounds great. So when do they expect this might be up and running? Well, at this stage, all they've done is uh, list the tender, and and they've had an information session for prospective tenderers, and I'm sure they had a lot of people interested in the project. The indicative timeline at this stage states by December 2021 for the thing to go live, which would be great. I should also add that there's some other IT-related stuff that the government's been doing that we reported on, and particularly a change to the incoming passenger declaration. Again, looking to the future, hopefully, they're now asking people about their vaccination status. At the moment, this isn't verifiable, obviously, because of all those different, you know, lax arrangements in other countries where they're, you know, not recording those vaccinations. But at least it's a first step because it should allow the introduction of some sort of risk-based approach in the future, perhaps treating people who are vaccinated differently to those who are not in terms of hotel quarantine and isolation, etc. Awesome. Clearly, vaccination is the key. So if you are eligible for vaccination and are yet to sign up for an appointment, we really encourage you to do so. Help us all get this world back on track and get travel back on track. And finally, as we wrap up this week's podcast, have there been any other big stories or industry developments that you'd like to comment on? 
Yeah, well, always. Um, the first one that comes to mind is a couple of former Magellan Travel Group agencies which have switched camps and gone across to CT Partners. As I'm sure all of our listeners would be aware, it's now just over three years since Hello World controversially took over Magellan. And that means that the agreements, the three-year agreements that the 100 or so Magellan agents signed at the time, notably along with a big fat check from Hello World, all expired on the 30th of June, I believe. So they're being asked to re-sign, but without the carrot of that big joining bonus. And I'm hearing that there are quite a lot who are sitting on the fence. I think they can go on to a month-to-month arrangement. And I've been told that there's more than 30 who are considering their options. And these two, in this latest announcement, Benalla Travel um, and Where To Travel, two Victorian agents, they're the first to go public and confirm that they're leaving. It's been good news for CT Partners, who've been in a bit of a battle with Hello World over the last couple of years, um, with Hello World particularly cherry-picking one of the biggest members out of the group by acquiring Travel Edge a couple of years ago. Anyway, I'm presuming the exodus from Magellan is something that's become the problem of Nick Kohler, who a couple of weeks ago became responsible for all of the Hello World Group's retail franchise and buying group networks. And interestingly, speaking of Nick, um, a couple of readers have pointed out a particularly interesting tidbit in relation to him and the recently released report from Consumer Group Choice that we talked about in the last podcast. This week, Choice also did a follow-up, which really slammed Flight Centre. Anyway, believe it or not, Nick Kohler is a director of Choice. He joined the board in November 2019, and his profile on the Choice website happens to make no mention at all of his connection with the travel industry, uh, which in itself is interesting since he's been acting CEO of Cruise Co. since August 2019, actually before he joined the Choice board. So that's got to be an interesting conflict of interest dilemma, potentially. I'm wondering how he manages all that, given that Choice clearly has it in for his employer, Hello World, and his employer's major competitors. Wow, fascinating stuff. And anything else you want to mention? Uh, Yeah, just one last thing. A bit of rare good cruise news as we continue to hold our breath and keep our fingers and toes crossed about getting some sort of sense from the government. And that is that at least in 2022, Viking Cruises is planning to double its capacity in the local market. Late last week, they launched a new ship, Viking Mars, which sort of floated out from the shipyard. So it's it's being fitted out now. I think it uh, launches early 2022. And it's the eighth one in the Viking Ocean Cruise series of ships and 930 passengers each. Anyway, Viking announced that after an inaugural season in Europe, the ship will head here to cruise in Australian waters over the 2022-23 summer. That'll happen alongside its sister ship, Viking Orion, so there's going to be a lot of Viking action in the local market. Unfortunately, however, that's the only glimmer of good cruise news locally which is stark contrast to the rest of the world where there was a major update from Canada this week with the planned reopening of cruising, not just for domestic, but even international passengers from November this year. The Canadian government all of a sudden seems to have re-embraced cruising and indeed tourism. They'd previously announced a 12-month ban on cruise ships, which has now been shortened to that November restart because of the success of vaccination programs. In fact, Canada really looks to be opening up and taking a front foot in terms of a travel and tourism restart, um, because from September, they're opening up to anyone from around the world who is vaccinated. Yeah, in cruising and indeed the wider travel and tourism industry, Australia really is falling farther and farther behind. Unfortunately, we are going to wrap up this episode on that grim note and hope that we have something better to report next time. 
Thank you as always for listening. We hope this gave you something to do during your daily lockdown walk or workout and that your earphones are comfortable under your mask. It's really the small things as we're all in lockdown. As always, please help your industry colleagues to find us by rating, reviewing and sharing the podcast. We so appreciate you all and all your support. And we will be back soon with more news on the fly.